praise God. Would you just say Jesus? Jesus. 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 The name above every name, Jesus Christ. Let's do our declaration together this morning, and then we're getting into today's message. Let's say it like you mean it, and let it come from your soul, because if you say these words and don't mean them, they mean nothing. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, 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 the name above every name, we exalt you, O God, and we invite you into this place. Speak to every heart, speak to every soul, fill us with hope in Jesus' name. We give you praise. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to get right into the word of the Lord. There's two passages of scriptures that I'm going to be reading. There's going to be 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6, and 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. You can probably see them up also upon the, uh, upon the wall. 1 Samuel 11 and 6 says, And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he had heard these tidings, and his anger was, uh, was kindled greatly. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. May the Lord add his blessing to the word today. It's not my intent to be political here today, but I want to humbly offer the rumblings of my troubled heart. And I also want to ask for, for your forgiveness in advance if I cannot find the words to express the holy ambition of what the Spirit of the Lord has placed within my heart. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just puts things into you and you just don't have the language. You don't have the words to express exactly what the Lord wants to say. And sometimes it's very difficult to put it all together and outline it. And and there's so much that I feel like that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me because I want to be honest with you. Everything that has been going on in the last week or so has troubled my spirit greatly. And I have been in prayer and I've been asking God as a shepherd, as a leader, how do I lead? What do I say? What direction do we take? What's going on? Give me some answers. Give me as a leader the things that I need to know. And I feel like the Lord has showed me some things. And not only has he showed me things, he's going to continually show me things. And he's going to show and instruct us. This message today is not near the direction that I would have took it. I would have probably preached a very encouraging message. And even though at the end of this it should be encouraging to you, yet there is some instruction and there's some correction that I feel like that the Lord is wanting to give to us as a part of the general whole body of Christ, not necessarily as an individual church, but the whole body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be talking about our nation a little bit today, and when I do, I want you to understand when I talk about the nation, I'm talking about everybody, the unregenerated, the regenerated alike, the sinner, the saint, and I'm talking about the general population. I'm talking about the general senses of where America's going, not necessarily the church. So pay attention to what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about the nation, I'm talking about the nation. When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church. And don't mix them up together because what you're seeing in the church is totally different a lot of the times of what you see in the general population of the nation doing. So we're not going to get try to get that mixed up together. But I'm deeply concerned about where our nation is headed. How many of you are deeply concerned of where we're headed? Of course we are. And as I was putting this message together, I did not have the information at that particular time who was elected as president. I guess still yet there's still questions about that that we're praying about and that we're interceding about. So this isn't so much about who or who wasn't elected as president, but it's about the vote itself and the principles and the standards and the values that were backed by those votes. And remember, I'm talking about the nation 
nation right now. It's more about the consensus of our morals and our beliefs and how we define our values as a people and as a nation called the United States of America. With that being said, let me start out by saying this, this as a whole, and that is that America is spoiled. Just like we have spoiled our children and given them everything that they've ever wanted, yet America is spoiled as a whole, this generation. We are literally become brats, if you please, in a lot of ways. America has lost its sense of direction, it has lost its purpose, and it has lost all sense of reality. In the United States, we have it so good that in the years past, and when something literally small or insignificant would happen, we would call it a catastrophe because we have no ability to suffer anymore. We have no stamina to be able to stand up and, and, and go through some hardships. America has been blessed by its history and by its biblical foundations in which she has been built upon. And through those biblical foundations, America had found favor in its past. But it has become arrogant and prideful and rebellious. How do I know that? By the general senses of how it was reflected in what we were voting for. Can I have an amen? Get mad at me if you please, but that is the truth. Through past favor, we have conquered raging rivers with our elaborate dam systems. We have wiped out the life-threatening childhood diseases such as smallpox and measles and chickenpox and polio and things of that nature. We have moved from the horse and buggy as the principles of means of transportation to manned missions to the moon and back. That's how smart we have become. We have moved from simple frame houses with a little path going to it to houses that our grandparents would have never dreamed of owning or never less even seeing or living in with carpeted covered floors, indoor plumbing, central heat and air, microwave ovens, built-in swimming pools and remote control digital televisions that we regulate from a vibrating recliner. We have it comfortable. Whether you know it or not, we have it comfortable. We are in this house today sitting on nice cloth seats with air conditioning and good lighting and good sound and we don't have a pot belly stove in the middle trying to keep us warm and we don't have old sawdust floors and hard benches. We are a blessed people. Can you say amen? You and I are a blessed people. Say amen. You and I are a blessed people. So stand to your feet and give God praise for the blessing. Hallelujah. We're blessed. Amen. But all of this, every single thing that I just said, from the horse and buggy to the moon expeditions to all of the housing that we have and the indoor plumbing and the heat and air and all of the different things that I just described has happened, remember this, in one person's lifetime. My grandchildren find it difficult to hear my story sometimes about how that most television programs were in black and white when I was a young boy. There was no color television when I was small, and also they can understand that there was no programming after midnight. How many remembers when the signal comes said off air? And matter of fact, during the daytime, we at the Miller House could get three channels part of the time. We got channel 12 most all of the time, channel 15 about half of the time, and channel 6 out of Paducah about a quarter of the time. And if you were going to get those signals, what you had to do is, if we wanted to watch channel 15, Dad would say, see if you can get channel 15 today, son. That meant, son, go outside and get a hold of the antenna pole and start turning it, and somebody at the at the, at the, at the television would stand there watching it, and then and somebody in the middle room would convey a message to the person over to the window. And when you got it just right, the guy at the television would say, hey, it's good. And the hey, it's good. And by the time they said that, you passed it. And they'd knock on the window and say, go back to the left. Go back to the right. And that's how you found your signal for the changing of the television. There was no remote control where you could sit in your easy recliner and do it. That was the way things were in my lifetime. I also know what it's like to live in a house that has no indoor plumbing. I know what an outhouse is all about and the waspers and the cold and the heat and I know about Sears kind of like Roebuck as toilet paper. 
I have been there in my lifetime. Laugh as you please, but that's how for America has advanced because of her godly heritage. Give God praise. Oh, Lord, help me. We have created a paradise, and we are so prosperous and dominant that the wars of the last six decades have required little to no sacrifice at home whatsoever. Even as our sons and daughters died abroad in wars, we continued as if we were in peacetime as a nation forgetting our fallen heroes because not feeling the effects upon American soil It's like those things never even happened, and yet people died. Those who lived through previous wars, especially World War I and World War II, cannot even imagine how such a thing could happen. How can there be wars, and yet we live in peace because it's never upon American soil, and all of a sudden, when our sons and daughters die, the nation does not grieve because it does not feel its effects. And yet people stand by and say, how in the world can that be? But I'm here to tell you that the war that we're fixing to enter into and have entered into, we're fixing to feel the effects. Are you listening to me? Now, I'm trying to be encouraging, and I will be encouraging if the Lord will allow me to get to a certain point in this message. But those who have lived through previous wars, they're just sitting there. They can't understand how that all these different wars that we have fought, we have lost hundreds of thousands of people, and yet we live like as if we're in peace and it don't even affect us. The majority of the world knows no such paradise from life's hazards and menaces. And here in America, things are fixing to change. All because we have developed the narcissistic conviction that nothing should affect our lives, diminish our personal liberty, or limit our wants or our will. We're Americans. We have the right to be happy. We have the right to make our own choices. We have the right to be free. And we have the right to do whatever we want to do. And even though that is true, yet the right to do whatever you want to do has consequences to it if it doesn't fall in line to the biblical foundations in which we've been built upon. Now hang on with me. Instead of our freedom driving, deriving out of a personal responsibility, hard work, and faith in God, we have developed in America you owe, uh, a you owe me mentality. We want something that no longer costs us nothing, and we have developed a silver platter mentality. How many see that? If you agree with me, raise your hand. Do I have a witness in the house? Due to this mentality, the workforce has almost been completely annihilated in our country. People cannot find people to work. Our, our factories are struggling. Our, 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 our restaurants are struggling. Our, our, our construction companies are struggling. People are trying and begging just to try to get somebody to come and show up to work. The drug abuse is so bad that now instead of having drug tests, they quit doing it because if they do drug tests, they'll have to fire 75% of its workforce. This is where in Oregon alone right now they just passed by law that it's okay to do meth, it's okay to do cocaine, and it's okay to do all kinds of different kinds of hard drugs. Can you imagine where America is going to? All in the face of called so-called liberties and freedom. What America's concept is, I'm too good to work for nothing, and nothing to them is an hourly wage that cannot be sustained by the means of supply and demand. As a matter of fact, people are wanting an hourly wage that has no skills, that, and they want to be paid the same as those who have applied themselves and went to school and took risk in businesses. And the problem is that if you're not careful, an hourly wage of $15 for minimum wage, everybody says that should happen. Well, what happens is, is you go from a, a startup job where someone's working in school and they're getting paid a minimum wage, that's a start job in order to teach you and to train you to help you get through things. But if you start upping in those minimum wages, what happens is they jump five and six dollars while the middle class does not jump at all. And before long, you annihilate the middle class. And this is what you have everybody on equal ground. And everybody now is getting paid the $15 a a buck. And the minimum wage is $15. And now hamburgers, instead of costing $5, they're costing $10 and $15. But the problem of it is the middle class is cut out and inflation has hit the roof. Now, that went over like a lead balloon, but that's the truth. Can I have an amen? Amen. This is where we're headed. 
One of the main reasons people voted for their candidate this time was for the purpose of who was promising the most money. Free stimulus, free health care, free school, free child care, free insurance, free student loans. You want me to keep going? Not realizing that someone's going to have to pay for all of that stuff and we have become fools and we're fastly becoming slaves to what we call socialism. Socialism may give you free stuff, but know this, nothing's free but salvation and it costs Jesus Christ his life. But when everybody's wanting to give you something for nothing, there's always strings attached and you become controlled, enslaved, and owned by a slave master called big government. The middle class is cut out again and all you have is the rich, which is mainly the government workers who get elected in big positions. And they start out with a salary of $200,000 a year and within 20 years, they've got $80 million in the bank. Figure that out. All over the country, this is happening. The government then takes full control of your lives and they manipulate you through money. Consider this, if the whole world were a village of 100, taking the populations and condensing it, 80 would live in substandard housing. A significant of those numbers would actually live on the streets. 50 would suffer from malnutrition. 33 would not have access to clean, safe drinking water. 24 would not have electricity. And those that do have electricity, they would only burn it for a light at night. An estimated 90% of the world's population would find life right now in the typical American garage, better living space than the house that they live in, and that's how it is right now presently. And if you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, a place to sleep tonight, you are among the 75% of people on the planet in terms of comfort. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and have spare change in your pocket, you are among the top 8% of the wealthy of the world as it stands right now. And yet with us being blessed with no other nation like we have it, we are plagued with worry due to the mentality that nothing is enough and our vote to change is doing just that. It's changing us. And they're doing it and saying it's all in the, in the, in, in the, uh, t- the term equality. In other words, that they want all of the world to be equal with us. And it's been written in books by our former presidents and everything else of what they're wanting. They want a national, controlled, one-world system government where everybody's on equal plane. Now, that sounds Christian, doesn't it? But the problem of it is this is what takes place. Is instead of America being put on this, instead of uh, making everyone like us, it pulls us down to where they're at. And we become like a third world country where you have the rich and the poor and the rich rule. Can I have an amen? Instead of us allowing them to be lifted up where we're at, it pulls us down to where they're at and America becomes destroyed. Once we rolled up our sleeves, we growled at nature. We were a proud people. Picking up the debris of hurricanes and tornadoes and storms, providing relief for the world, not just America, by rebuilding, uh, rebuilding in a matter of months after a storm took place. Planning and renewing, smiling and swelling with pride that we were innovative and we were resourceful as America. We were wise and we were able to build, we were able to match nature's wrath and fury with equal resolve because we were Americans. We were strong in how true it was. When there were crises across America and around the world, America always stood up and done what was right. We were a people that cared. We were a people that gave hardworking fear, fear, the fear of God, and we rose up with resolve and strength, and we helped other nations. When nations would crumble, we would go in and help rebuild, and we would give them money, and we'd give them help, and we would give them aid. But now, instead of swelling with pride, we have become prideful, and it's a different kind of pride. We are delusional to think that we should never have to suffer, want, or desire anything because that we're Americans. Instead of rising to the occasion like we used to, we look now to someone else to do it for us. Or we blame someone of where we're at and say, it's their fault that this is going on in my life. Look around. The earth is shaking. The world is collapsing. The earth is screaming. And our cities are being completely destroyed. Rise
rioting and destroying is in our cities. Violence is filling our streets. And homeless is dying on our sidewalks Sidewalks in massive numbers. Whole cities are going broke. Whole states cannot pay their bills. And while well-abled men and women refuse to work, they're promised a stimulus. They're promised an addition to, to their unemployment. And the working class citizen is being crushed, crushed with overtaxation to pay what we call for equality. And the only thing I got to say, and let me say it loud and clear, if it's equality, then let's all be equal and let's all go to work. Can I have an amen? You're saying, Brother Miller, this is a hard message. I'm not done yet. Hang with me. As a result of the change of culture, our values, and our beliefs, it's changed the atmosphere around us. The good old U.S. of A. that was strong and prideful, that was powerful, is now beginning to crumble. The earth reels. Nature is vicious. Sin and death has infected the cosmos, the world in which we live. Instead of rebuilding after Katrina, things begin to fall apart. And matter of fact, to this very day, they say you can go down in some of those areas and the houses are still standing empty with the windows busted out and watermarks still upon them. Inhabited buildings everywhere. We have never rebuilt in some of those places after that, that very day. We used to clean up our messes, respond with resolve and be strong and we would overcome. We are no longer overcoming nature's wrath and weary, vi- viciousness. And let me say this, things are being shaken. Earth Earth is being rattled. The earth is sick. That's what Paul said in Romans 8 verse 22 and verse 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Paul said that there's a day that is here that is right now happening on the earth where the earth is not only sick and vomiting and Shakening and everything trembling, everything that shall be shaken shall be shaken. He goes on and says in Hebrews, but he's also saying even us, the body of Christ, moan and we groan to the wind of the redemption of our bodies. In other words, we are even crying, "Oh Lord Jesus, come quickly!" Because things are heavy, things are, are burdensome. There is no longer an atmosphere of freedom and liberty and power and expectation and and, and vision, but now it's a blanket of fear and a blanket of turmoil and a blanket of chaos and a blanket of darkness. And we don't know what to do and where to turn and nothing makes sense and nothing seems to be right. And the church is even sitting back saying, what in the world is going on? Can I have an amen? And when you look at the two different scriptures that we have taken as our text, we see the first one saying in 1 Samuel 11 and 16 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. However, we also see in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. I want us to see the contrast between God with us and God departing from us. Saul, the first king of Israel, was a contradiction, matter of fact. In his first great moment, hearing the siege of the Ammonites at Jabesh Gilead, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, thrusting him into Israel's national stage as a military leader, and eventually he would become Israel's first king. And this is where the Ammonites had tried to get the children of Israel to compromise and to make a covenant with them so that the children of Israel could serve them. Nahash the Ammonite came up and camped against Jabesh Gilead, and out of fear and intimidation, All of the men of Jabesh ran out into Nahash and said, make a covenant with us. It was their idea for him to make a covenant. And then we will serve thee. Now listen to what is happening. They've already got a defeat mentality because of circumstances and because they are the minority and not the majority and because they're outnumbered and because things look bleak, they're ready to compromise. And I want to tell you, what has happened the last week may look like that we are the minority. It may look like that we're outnumbered by popular vote and by popular census. It may look like that everything's against us. But I'm here to tell you, don't be a man from Jabesh Gilead and be a compromiser. It is not a time to compromise. Are you with me? I'm about about to preach here. (laughs) Nevertheless, 
they begin to say, make this covenant with us. Nahash then lays out the conditions of that covenant. And he said, let me thrust out all of your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all of Israel. Now, did you hear what he just said? To thrust out their right eyes means to pluck their eye out, take it out. It would take away their ability to war because it would handicap them. It would cause them not to be able to shoot a bow correctly because if you're left-handed or right-handed, your right eye is what you aim by. It's what gives you balance. It's what gives you surety. It's what gives you aim. And it also would take away the ability for them to have peripheral vision with fighting with a sword. You take one eye out, you can't see to your side. You can't see what's going on. Therefore, you're handicapped and you're not a good swordsman. And they knew this. It would cause them only to have tunnel vision to where they could not see outside of the perimeters of the hole, but only the center. This is speaking both in a spiritual form and a physical form. Listen, because this is where America's at. It would bind them, or blind them, I should say, of their spiritual vision to be able to see properly and see things in the light that is presented. They would not be able to see the whole. And what I want you to know is the enemy is trying to get the church focused only on the part and not the whole. Don't be fearful of what's just taking place because I just want to just say this. God's still on the throne. This ain't caught him by surprise. Come on, somebody. I'm not afraid. I'm not fearful. I'm not down. I'm not out. I'm concerned, but I've got full confidence that the God who's brought us this for is a God that's going to give us the breakover and the breakout and the breakthrough to be the victorious people that he's called us to be. If you believe that, give him, stand up and give him praise. My, 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 hang with me. The problem is that these people would only be able to see in part or in peace and it would blur their vision to not be able to see their full potential and possibility. A lot of you think your full potential and possibility has gone or vanished because of the way the election at this point has been turned out. I'm telling you that my trust is not in princes, it's not in horses, it's not in presidents, it's not in chariots, but my hope and my faith and my trust lieth in the Lord. Can I have an amen? The Lord is still the Lord on the throne and there is no one that's able to war against him. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Hallelujah. I can see I'm not going to get with, done with this sermon, so I'm going to paraphrase and, look, and, and skip a lot of my notes here today. But the next thing that we hear is, and see is almost unbelievable. The vision, the loss of vision, the loss of hope. People just giving up. People just overwhelmed. People gridlocked, dominated by fear. Look at what happens. The men of Jabesh actually considers allowing Nahash to put out their right eyes and surrender themselves to the Ammonites and serve them. I can't even comprehend that. You try to take my right eye out, you better be ready to take my left also because I'm going down swinging. Amen. Amen. 
And I got news, our weaponry is different than it used to be. I don't have to have a right eye to put a name on a scope. I got a shotgun. I can't understand why men would be willing. Now, this is not only them, but their children and their wives and everybody. This is the whole nation. Can you imagine bringing your child up and saying, well, we're going to compromise with you and we're going to make a covenant with you. And I want to tell you, when the devil takes the right, I don't think he's going to be satisfied. He won't be satisfied until he takes your life. There's no compromise in this thing. You give an inch, they'll take a mile. Here they were willing not to see for themselves, think for themselves, but allow someone else to take control of their lives and tell them how they shall live. Does that sound familiar? Does that not sound where we're headed, what we're voting for? Take care of me. I vote for you so you can take care of me. You know what? I'll take care of myself with the help of the Lord and with the faith in God. Can I have an amen? Boy, the... help us, Lord. Listen to what 1 Samuel 11 and 3 says. And the elders of Jabez said to them, give us seven days that we may send messengers in all the coast of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out unto thee. We're going to surrender. The Bible says they sent messengers out to find a man to help them. And as they told the people of what was going on all throughout the land, of what the Ammonites had said, all of the people lifted up their voices and they wept. The spirit of fight was not in them. Hopelessness was among them. Fear, defeat, had them gripped their hearts. And here they were just thinking, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. There's some of you that are in this very place over an election and saying, there's nothing we can do. That's a lie. That's a smokescreen. And let me tell you, what has happened this week has not defeated us. Say what you want. Oh, we had such a terrible, we may have had a blow, but we're not defeated. I said we're not defeated. We're victors. I wish I could preach. That was what I was wanting to preach on, but I can't go there. We'll be there too long. So the spirit was not in them, and all of a sudden, Saul comes in from watching the herd. He comes in, and he looks around, and he's saying, well, what elleth the people? Why are all of these people weeping for? He's just a normal man, Saul, at this particular time, and the people told him of all what the men of Jabesh of Galilee were thinking about doing by surrendering to Tehash the Ammonite. And then the Bible says the spirit of the Lord God came upon Saul. God's never late. Don't call, don't, don't call God foolish or don't call God an abandonment of what went on here today or this week. Matter of fact, things ain't over yet. You keep praying for this election. If there is fraud, let it be exposed and let Donald J. Trump assume his seat. Amen, if that's the way it is. But here's what I'm saying. You do not have to cave in when things look big. The spirit of the Lord will come upon his people. He will save such that is of a broken and contrite spirit. To make a long story short, Saul tells the men of Jabesh, he'd gather men and he'd come and help them fight. They even get in tune and say, okay, now that they got somebody, now this is where I'll hit up in a minute. What was it that motivated Jabesh Gilead men to rise up? A leader. A man that would not cow down. A man that would not talk negative. A man that says, there's something we can do about this. And let me tell the palace of praise, there's something that we can do about what just took place in America. We are not powerless. We are not defenseless. Are you listening to me? We are not weaklings. And even though America may have resolved to the point of weakness to where we no longer rebuild and overcome nature's fury and all those different things like we used to, yet that is the nation. The church does not have to follow suit with the nation. The church has the ability to arise. The church has the ability to stand up tall. The church has the ability to shine in darkness like it's never shined before. The church has the ability to be victorious when all hell sets itself against it. I'm not sitting around whining and crying and I'm sitting here believing in victory for the church of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of Almighty God. 
Saul gets 300,000 men from Israel. He gets 30,000 men from Judah. He goes the next day. He sets up them all up in companies of three, representing, I think, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And they go out to battle, and they destroy the Ammonites. They whipped them so bad that the Ammonites were scattered, and not two of them were walking together. That's how bad they were destroyed. This is what happens when the Spirit of the Lord is with you. Victories occur. Now, why didn't victory occur the way we thought it should occur? There's reasons why victory don't occur. Can I have an amen? Can I tell the church we must be filled with the Spirit? We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Spirit. We need the outpouring of his grace and favor upon the church. The answer to life's perplexities here in this final hour, closing hours of the church dispensation is be filled with the Spirit. And without him, we are nothing because it's not by power nor might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. And as you look, we see this Saul, a man head and shoulder taller than everybody else. He starts out real well. But Saul was lifted up in his pride like our nation has been. He left his life unchecked as the nation has become unchecked. And he became very arrogant, heady, high-minded, and he found himself estranged from God. And that's where our nation has found itself. Not the church. I didn't say the church. I said the nation. This is where our nation's at. And everybody's saying, well, when the popular vote is against the spiritual vote and we're the minority, how can things ever change? Many of you are sitting in your pews today, and these are the questions you're asking. My goodness, what else could we have done? People prayed, and there were prayer commissions all over the country, and people were walking and worshiping in the streets, and people were having a revival at, at, on the beaches, and, and there was uh, Billy Graham's son, uh, Franklin, that was going out by the thousands and trying to spread the gospel and just on and on and on. And President Trump had all of those preachers uh, up there at the White House, and he was having them pray in the White House. and Oh, and he went to church services, and he was uh, fighting against abortion and he got the Supreme Court all packed to where there's a possibility for Roe versus Wade to be turned around and all of this stuff happened. Why did God abandon him? That's the question of America. Let me ask you, has God ever abandoned anyone who had a heart to do right? Is God foolish? Is wisdom of man much more wiser than the wisdom of God? God's ways are above our ways and ways past understanding. And I'm not here falling apart today. I am declaring that every plot, every scheme, every delusion, every deception, every high thing that has rose itself to exalt itself in the face of God and mock and ridicule and poke fun at the evangelical vote, I'm here to tell you, they shall come to not. God is still alive. You don't think God don't have a plan? You think God's caught off guard? Do you think God's up in the heavens going, what went wrong? You think God's shaking in his boots? If he's not, then why should we? If God be for us, who can be against us? First Samuel 11 and 6. The next thing we hear is that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Now I'm going to, I'm going to prophesy something. Now I heard it from any prophet, but you're fixing to see a dividing line of God's Spirit withdrawing from 
the government or the nation of the United States, but yet a rise of his spirit upon the church. And the world is going to find out what it's like to live out from underneath the blessings and the covering of the hedge of God's grace. While the church will live under the umbrella of the favor of God. Now, that's as far as I'm going to go there. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and his anger was kindled greatly. And we have a problem in this passage that we don't really want to recognize because we think it's a good thing. In reality, there is a righteous indignation, but that's not what this Bible is talking about when you look at it in the general context. The same scripture that says the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, it also says that he was aroused with anger. Saul had a storm boiling inside of him that he was never able to conquer. It was an anger problem. And so because he wasn't able to conquer that storm, that storm ended up conquering him. And the things in your life that you don't get a hold of and conquer, you better because they're going to conquer you just like they did Saul. In the office of the king, his, angry exp- his anger uh, continued. And on one certain point, it was poured out upon the whole nation. And the nation felt the blunt of this leader's anger. Priests were slaughtered. David and his band of, of men were hunted from one end to the other of the country to be killed by Saul. The, in other words, the spiritual was being pursued, and that's where we're headed. I want to tell you, the very things that happened to Donald Trump and his presidency for standing up for religious right, that same spirit that attacked him, now you better get ready to feel the blunt of it because they're going to blame you for the, being the one that elected him the first time. And they're coming after you. Amen? And there's going to be some uneasiness. And there's going to be some pain that we're going to occur as a result of this. But you can refrain from the pain if you want by simply denying your Christ. Are you going to do it or not? Saul had lost his soul while on the throne and the whole nation was impacted by his decision. David too would later also make a lot of mistakes And one of the results of that would be that even Jerusalem would almost be destroyed as a result of a mistake that David had made. And the reason that David got caught up in a sin issue is because there was ease in Zion, comfortableness. And that's where we're at as a nation as well. I wish I could preach all these points. But in both cases, Israel's kings failed to contain the sin in their own hearts. Sin is never a private issue. And let me say this, and I'm going to move on. Sin is a, is a public toxin that's like poison that spreads to everybody. And the principle is found in the book of Romans 5 and 12. When Adam sinned, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now, I'm not claiming that I heard everything that I need to hear, nor am I claiming that I know or understand everything that is going on, but I can say I heard from God, and God spoke to me when I was praying through all of these questions that I had. Right in the middle, God just spoke to me, and he said to me, I cannot bless partial obedience. I thought, God, what are you saying? I do not understand, and he began to clarify it to me. God cannot bless tunnel spiritual vision to where people only see in part but not fully grasp or understand or grab hold of the whole of the spiritual. If you never see your possibilities, you can never go into your destiny. If you never see the possibilities, you'll never rise to the occasion with passion to do something about it. Passion will make you so uncomfortable that you'll die trying to succeed that which you believe in. It's a value. It's a faith value. Faith values cannot be put or compartmentalized over here and say, well, I'll just compartmentalize. Anything that you try to hide as a value is not really a value in your life. If you're going to be a Christian in church and go outside of the scope of the church and live a contrary life and put your faith values aside, you really don't have faith and you're not a Christian. Woo! Can I have an amen? What you believe comes out in what you do and what you do defines who you are. Period. And here we are, we see that God speaks and he says to me, You cannot and I cannot be fully blessing that which is only partial obedience. While there's been spiritual movement in the past four years under the leadership of Donald Trump and we have seen things moving toward the center, yet I'm concerned that we were blinded to the flaws of that movement in which caused God's blessings and favor 
not to fully be extended to us in the way that God intended for it to be. God's will is that nobody should ever perish. Is that not true? Is that not true? But yet people are perishing every day upon the earth, so therefore God's will in heaven is not always accomplished on earth. And the thing that God wanted to accomplish, I do not think has fully been able to be accomplished due to the fact that there's only been partial obedience and we've only seen things with a one-eye mentality. We have not had the peripheral vision, spiritually speaking, that God wanted us to have. We've only seen with one eye because we've given up our eye and we have allowed someone else to do our thinking for us and we're always looking to the prophets and we're always looking to the, this ministry and that ministry to do the work for us and we're always wanting this big event and that big event to accomplish what we want to accomplish. We buy into the cause, but we lack the commitment. Hello? That's what the Holy Spirit laid in my heart. I'm going to, I get get off my notes, so we'll be here all day. I hope I can communicate it, guys, because I got it detailed the way the Lord laid it out in my spirit. We have seen movement, no doubt about it, and those movements have been good, and I am not here in any fashion, form, or way condemning them or not saying that they were not authentic or nor were they not real. Men like Franklin Graham has given his life to try to make a difference in this country. Motivating people taking them from, to, to, uh, from court, courthouses to state capitol buildings to Washington, D.C. and marching in the streets and having prayer vigils. And come on, having speakers. And it's been real, and I don't know what would have happened if he had not done that. Men like Dutch Sheets, men like Sean, cannot pronounce his last name, who went to 54 different cities of America doing worship and having prayer vigils in the parks and people were being saved and having water baptisms out in California. Those things were real. They were necessary and they were important. And I am no way criticizing And If you think I am, listen to this preacher. I am not. But the problem with the church is the very things that was trying to happen on a national level was not seen on a local level. While the national level was having what we call so-called movement, the grassroots was silent. Come on. While 5,000 gets on a beach in California, there's a decline in the church. Church attendance is plummeting. While there was prayer meetings going on by the thousands in Washington, preachers couldn't get anybody to come out and pray publicly. What was going on nationally was superfluous because nothing nationally can be sustained if it doesn't rise out of the grassroots of America. You'll not change a nation nationally until you change it publicly. Come on. Well, you have people that would fly over here and fly over here. I'm for it. Necessary. People were blessed. But some of those same people, when they got home, wouldn't even darken in the doors of the church to help the ministries of the church. They like going to the event, hoping the event, they sing the cause, but they didn't want to come back to the trenches and commit to anything. What is it? It's the same spirit. They wanted something for nothing. They wanted something that cost them nothing. If all of the resources, the money, the energy, the passion, the excitement that has took place in these events would have come home and done it locally, you could have had local revivals that sprung up and made a national event productive. Am I, am I preaching all right? And God spoke to my heart and he said that the local church as a whole is fast asleep. They see the cause, they'll vote the cause, they'll they'll. they'll, they'll, they'll even 
proclaim the cause, but they won't want to commit to the price to make it happen. So they're just like the world. They're wanting something for nothing. It's exciting to get on an airplane and fly to California and go to a beach and watch people get baptized and get into a worship service. Nothing wrong with it. It's important and things happen. It was real. But then it's hypocrisy and superfluous to come home and treat home as if nothing really matters. There's no marches in the streets. There's no prayer meetings going on in the churches. There's decline in the church. Church attendance is down. And no one comes to church on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or not because it's not relevant. It doesn't offer me nothing. Wanting something for nothing. And God can't bless it. While we want to blame our leader, the truth of the matter is our leader has not had the support that he seemed to have had from us. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. And I wept. And God said, why are you weeping, my son? And I began to spill it out. He said, are you from Jabesh of Gilead? And I said, no. And he said, rise up, shake yourself. I got up and I said, okay, God, what are you speaking to me? And this is what he said. Even as people look to the big event of the national I'm fixing to stir the grassroots. And the faith values are no longer going to be put in hiding, but people are going to start living them out. And when they start living them out, your spirit, just like your sin, cannot be contained by your skin. Who you are affects in a positive way or a negative way. You either, me or you together, we either enforce faith or we create fear. We either bring peace or we have a mob mentality. It's about the atmosphere of our trajectory of who we are in our profile or who we are spiritually. Am I preaching all right? Who I am in a spiritual sense has must have an effect in everybody around me. And if not, then I have not become to where the faith values are so important that people can read who I am and that my life is not communicable because I have somehow departmentalized myself to where when I'm in front of certain people or when I'm at church, I'm this way, but outside of the church, I'm lazy, I'm incontent, I'm not consistent, I'm slothful, and I got all these other things wrong with me And therefore, therefore, God cannot bless the trajectory of my life to where it brings him glory and honor. But when I am the real deal, when I am who I am all the time, the spirit of the Lord shall come upon me. And when the world casts fear, my presence comes and elevates and brings forth the peace and the power of Almighty God. So God's saying, I'm gonna visit the grassroots and watch out because when the grassroots accomplishes what I wanted to do, you'll see national revival. I want you to stand with me. You're, you're leaving me.